Okay, so if I sound a little bit out of breath, it's because I am. Uh huh. So, uh, I, as I said before, I'm all pretty much moved in to my rectory. There's some empty boxes in my room, but they're empty. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I have not had is a TV. Okay. Now, now I usually don't really need a TV because I just watch stuff on, like via the internet. I've got yep. a fairly decent screen and everything. But it's like it would be nice to have a TV. Yeah. Well, some people from my pastor's old parish said, "Hey, we've got this TV. We don't know what to do with. Well, would you like it?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh huh. So finally, he came over just just like 15 minutes ago. So there's my pastor, uh, this nice gentleman from his old parish, and this very uh, surprisingly heavy. Uh, I think it's a plasma TV, so it's not like the, oh. the newest thing. In the oh, world, it's but old it's nice. school. Yeah, yeah. But plasmas um, are nice. Yeah, and it's uh, like 55 inches. It's really nice for the room. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I've got I'm on the third floor, so it's the like two flights of stairs. Yeah. Which if it, if that doesn't sound like a lot to you, then you're a jerk. Just just empathize <laughs> with me. We're old but, now. Yeah, seriously. But it became this kind of beautiful moment of pastor parochial vicar relations. So the pastor was going up the stairs first, yeah, kind of walking up the stairs backwards, yeah. And I think that's a beautiful image for a pastor. Like you know, you have to go up. You don't know quite know where you're going, but you're the one who's leading, right? Mm -hmm. And I was at the bottom, carrying all the weights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> we brought... <laughs> Okay, that's unfair. My pastor works way harder than I do. I just had to say that. So, so we, we brought it up. It's there. And it's going to be perfect because in a few weeks, um, producer Nick will come over to the rectory. We'll watch a WWE pay-per-view on mm -hmm. the new TV. It will be much rejoicing. Nice. So, so, yeah, right? I have a question for you. How did you... Okay. How, what were your feelings? If, if I hope you saw it because I know you're taking a bit of a break on Twitter for Advent. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Did you see Bishop Umber's meme of the tradening? You know, I took a quick glance at it. So, I just was I was just like, how did you feel that you got a Bishop Umber's uh, meme? Oh, I see. After now, something yeah. that you started. I mean, I'll say when Bishop Umber's first off started following me on Twitter, there was much rejoicing. Yeah, of course, there's a great celebration. He's the uh, he is the bishop of Twitter, and I feel like the tradening. I may have coined the word, but it's not mine. I am simply a prophet of the great tradening. Mm -hmm. So it's it, I'm glad that it get, continues to march <laughs> onward, but it's not uh -huh. mine. I'm detached from it. I'm just going to be swept oh, away in the tradening like everyone else. <laughs> so it's a good thing. I appreciate it. Yes. But uh, yeah. Okay. So for Advent, I am giving yeah. up Twitter. Yes. So it's already been like a day uh -huh. and already starting to feel the pinch a little bit. So oh, interesting. I, I was getting ready for, it was right after my first vigil mass last weekend. So the first Advent mass. And I thought to myself, you know what? Advent music is the best. It's so the best. It's the best. It's like I wanted to tweet out Advent music is the best for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, because it is the best. Mm -hmm. And two, because it would get a lot of likes and retweets, even though it's not saying anything special. And that really bothers producer Nick. Okay. But I'll say stuff like the mass is good or praying the rosary is good and it gets all this traffic and if producer nick would do the same exact thing nobody would care right so i had that feeling like oh man i can't tweet it out though <laughs> so you know what actually has been happening all these like twitter thoughts that come out in my brain i've actually yep. just been praying with them so it was like lord you know what i love advent 
and Avid music is the best. So it became like uh-huh. a little prayer instead of a tweet. So oh nice. Yeah, so far so good. There we go. Yeah. I so for a few weeks there I was off. I mean I would check in a little bit every day, but I wasn't tweeting much because I uh, uh, I had a funeral that was pretty huge. Mm-hmm. So it's just my brain wasn't there. And it's funny. It's like I, I love Twitter and I'm getting a bit more back into it now. But I also because of the forceness of the situation, I was like, ah, do what? I'm not missing this. Yeah. You know, I love all the people on Twitter, obviously, and I, I do love the community there. But the time it can take away from your life and how much freedom you have to do things like read and pray and and other things. It's like, you know what? The break wasn't so bad. It's nice. Yeah. Well, we are here to talk about tweets. We're here to talk about other things. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. Yeah. So a little, so there's a little problem with me giving up Twitter because uh-huh. like half of our show is based on Twitter. Yeah, I know. I was like, uh, what's going to happen with the Suma? So I spent like 15 minutes today, like looking over some tweets, picking out uh-huh. some tweets for Suma, nice. Tweetologica, and doing yeah. some of the uh, stuff for Twitter accounts. So I'll be doing a very little bit, but I won't be tweeting. I won't be active right. in any of the amazing DMs. It's just my opportunity to, to usurp all your followers. Hey, if you can do it, if you can take up that mantle, <laughs> if you can take up that cross and follow me and then go beyond me, I will follow you, Father Harrison. It probably won't. It probably won't no, happen. No, that's true. I am burdened happen. with great glory on Twitter. Yes. So, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So as I was saying, I had a, uh, I had a funeral last week. I was I, it's just, I think it's important to share, you know, priesthood has a whole bunch of different elements to it. And about a week and a half ago, we had already recorded our two episodes, so I haven't had a chance to share this yet. But I, I mentioned a bit on Twitter. I had a, for the first time, I had a funeral for a, a fif- for a young person. Yeah. 15 years old, tragic accident. Nothing could have happened. He got hit. He was on his bike, got hit by a car and died within 24 hours. And it was really tough. And, and uh, and it was, I gotta be honest, it was like really scary to do. Yeah. Super scary because they're like, not only there's, there's fear of, because these people don't, I haven't really seen them at church ever, except I've seen his grandparents, but not the pet parents or anything. Um, this, what, what words can you say in this situation? Um, you know, lots of different fears were kind of going through my mind. And, and not only that, we had, our church can only f- sit about 400 people. So when we, when we had about 750 people that day. Wow. So we had, to, we made overflow in the basement. We made overflow in the parish center. Uh, it was, it was logistically huge, but you know, it went, I think it went pretty well i mean like because the other fear that was kind of going over me it was just the fear of responsibility because i also knew it was a huge opportunity to present the gospel sure there's a lot while the whole town wasn't there in a way the whole town was there because everyone was going to be talking about it later on yeah and it was also facebook live and everything right so you, have, wow. you know this is an opportunity to really present the gospel to people and it went pretty well actually which i was very grateful for um, and then that night I had a blessing for a 60th wedding anniversary and a baptism of a newborn. And I was just like, it's just such an interesting thing. Only in the life of a priest can that stuff happen. All that stuff in one day. Yeah. It's a lot. So it's a lot. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Cause it seems like in those moments, people are looking to you for answers. Yeah. But there's, there's not like a lot of answers to be given. No, there's not. I think 
there was so when I did my homily, there was two things. I I wanted to balance out grief and hope, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to fall into pious pious platitudes, um, because this is not the moment for pious platitudes. I didn't want to say, oh well, at least he's in heaven now, right. because I actually said this in my homily. I said, but we don't want him in heaven. We want him here. Oh wow, he's been robbed, right? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's everyone's sentiment. Yeah, right. No, what parent would want their kid in heaven right now? To be frank, right now, right? Like that's when that's what the people are experiencing it's, right then. Yeah, right, exactly. So that was kind of and just kind of giving voice to the grief. Why grief is important? I always like to say in funerals that grief is actually a good thing because it means we have loved and have been loved, right? And that means we just miss the presence of the one who loves us. Um, and I just said these are all the questions that are going through our minds. And I said. Our God is not a God who gives the answer to the suffering. Why? But he gives us a presence in the suffering. It's a who, right? I said, this is what I can tell you about, about a God who is suffering with and in you right now because he suffered on the cross and yada, yada, yada. So that was kind of, that was kind of, and then that, you know, I was very careful. I'm always very careful at homilies to not say that they are in heaven because we don't know. Sure. But I'm like, we're here to pray that the hope is fulfilled. Right. And right? there's a lot of implied so, hope just in the in the funeral rites. Exactly. Right? We exactly. understand, like, if you were baptized and received the sacraments, there's great hope for you. So it's definitely a exactly. hopeful outlook, but it's also a, a yeah. humble outlook on anyone who's passed away. Yeah. Well, like in the preface, it says, uh, for your faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended. Mm-hmm. And when this earthly dwelling turns to dust, an eternal dwelling will be made secure. So I just, I said, like, if this, if this hope is fulfilled, then actually he is not, he is not far away though. He's, he's near because he's in the body of Christ and we too can be in that body too. And so that was kind of, it's kind of how I went about it, but uh, I was exhausted. I was mentally and physically exhausted after that. Oh my God. Yeah. That's going to be draining. It was just the whole, I didn't sleep well those two weeks Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, cause he's just, it's. I think every priest has to face this at least once in his priesthood, uh, something tragic like that. Sure, yeah, at least once. But have, 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 you, have you had to deal with any tragedies like that yet? No, I've been spared from that so far. Um, yeah. I mean, I had one uh, funeral of a, uh, a man who was like in his 40s, had a young daughter, you know, went to our school. Uh, and there was a lot of pressure on that because, um, you know, they, they wanted me to do the funeral. So they, they asked for me to do it, and that had happened up to that point. And uh, that was ch- tough, just watching the, the mother and the daughter uh, in the front pew, you know. But, uh, you know, and so I wanted to mention this, too, because we josh each other all the time on this podcast and everything. We make fun of each other. But as you were kind of talking about um, your struggles with this, you know, uh, with myself and some of the other priests we know, um, it made me really happy that, like, you, Father Harrison, are on our team. Like I took pride, like, you know what, Father Harrison, he's a priest and he's doing a great job. And I'm so glad there are other good priests doing good work out there. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And I, and I, and I got to say, I really appreciated, uh, you guys all gave me some really encouraging words mm-hmm. and I really appreciate They were what I needed to hear in the moment. And, and I mean, like, and there's still some fear. Like I want to reach out to the family, but there's that little part of me is like, well, I don't know what I should do. I don't know how I should reach out to them. Right. So, cause I don't really have a connection with, I have a connection with the grandparents. So I might just try to work through that. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, not easy, but that's what we get paid the big bucks to do. Right. All that priest money that we get. All that priest money. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> well, that's good. We did a little bit of affirmation to ourselves. Wonderful. But let's get into some yeah. controversy. Let's get okay. into the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. from Andrew Hedstrom. He's a seminarian. He's at Proto-Apostoli. And he tweeted this. Uh Doing my first graveside on Saturday. Kind of nervous about it. Hmm. So, um, there are some different rites and prayers that you don't have to be a priest to do. One of them are just prayers by the grave. And Andrew is a seminarian. He's doing this for the first time. And that that tweet just brought me back to seminary about how nervous (laughs) I was during my first because um, a, a layperson can do a, a funeral rite outside of Mass. So exactly. over the summer, I was at a place with, actually it was this parish that I'm at right now. And there's a mm-hmm. lot, a lot of funerals. So the pastor put me to work. If there was a funeral outside of Mass, I did it. And I remember feeling so nervous because you're doing yep. this funeral for someone you, you, you have no idea who they are or who the family is. Mm-hmm. And you want to do a good job. It's your first time kind of like doing something liturgical for real. It's not a practicum. It's not a practice. It's real life. So, Andrew, I hope you did a good job. I'm sure you did. Amen. And uh, Did I you do any of those things when you were a seminarian? Did I do them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. I was empathizing with Andrew right. because I felt, yeah, yeah. you know, it brought me back to those first nervous few ones. Yeah, I remember the only time I did anything like that was... My grandpa's funeral, actually. Um, oh. I preached at the vigil prayers, which we can do. Yep. And then, because um, it's not mass. And then I did the burial as well. How'd it go? So, which is, it went well. Yeah, it actually went really well. Good. Um, it was kind of, it was quite nice to be able to do that, actually. So, yeah. Good. Then you get used to these things. You do. You get. I mean, you, you kind of hate it almost. Like, oh, you get, you get used to death in some ways it's yeah, it's kind of weird it is weird but it's it's also kind of essential because if yeah. you don't so like you definitely want to be like present and real to the family but you also have a job to do for them and they're yeah. all going to be broken exactly. up they're going to be a million different places emotionally you kind of have to have your head on your shoulders yeah. and ready to do what you need to do to bring some kind of peace or some kind of sense of order to the thing so um, yeah. but it's tough it's tough to balance that I think yeah yeah, totally. Um, was, ah, I just had a thought. Never mind. It's all good. Uh, okay, I got one. I got one. Uh, Damien Ferentz, Father Damien Ferentz. Uh, people often ask why seminarians need to take 30 hours of philosophy. It's because addressing postmodern, pro- postmodern problems is difficult work. And he's, uh, he's quote tweeting Ariana Grande. Everything I feel is valid and safe. Everything I do is genuine and honest. Honest. There is no right or wrong during this period. Ooh. What do you think? There's a lot. I got, I, got, I got things to say. Yeah, go ahead and say some things. Uh, I totally agree with him in some ways. Uh, well, actually, no, I do agree with him. 
it's definitely my that's my wheelhouse is thinking about the problems of modernity the problem is sometimes when you get to become a priest you have to learn how to address these things to people who aren't thinking about these things at all yeah right that's where it gets hard but when you're trying to woo people with the gospel it's essential to know the whole worldview they're coming from which means you need to be able to think critically about the world around you and you need to be able to look at it with a with a critical lens so that you can so that you can address the problem and and call it out and show people why it's not fulfilling right so i think i i'm in total agreement with him about it it's just and i think it's just part of the learning experience of coming out of seminary you've just you've gone through class you've been a student for your most of your adult life yeah. <laughs> and so you're used to thinking and talking this way mm-hmm. and some like like my parish is an awesome parish great people they could get couldn't care you know two wits about uh, post-modernity yeah right <laughs> but the thing is like they're but, living in it though exactly right so it's about trying to figure out how can i communicate some of these problems without having to fall into academic speak and stuff like that yeah so when right. I heard this, I, I was thinking a few different things. One, because people are speaking often in this kind of emotional language, and I do this the same thing too. Instead of saying, I think this, we often say, I feel yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Uh, and what she's talking about is like feeling safe and everything you do is okay. That's the natural place you're going to end up if there is no universal truth. If there is yeah. no real objective truth you just enter into this realm of emotions and that becomes quote-unquote your truth right so because people have invested so much in that idea how i feel is the truth if you were to just stomp all over that with pure logic and reason even if you are correct it's they're not gonna be able to hear it so you have to be able to like enter into that emotional space and like affirm what's going on but also yeah. like slowly nudge them towards something else, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, even that idea, everything I do is safe, everything I do is okay, there's going to be a moment when all of that crashes down on somebody. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to do something wrong. Like, we're all sinners. You're going to probably do something evil at one point in time. Or yeah. a great tragedy is going to strike you. And this idea, this ideology you've built up on your own, it's going to come crumbling down in the face of suffering and sorrow. Yep. So are we going to be there with the empathy and the answers to give someone, you know, a more solid worldview, a more solid home, someplace to stand on? So and yeah. that's very tricky. Yeah. And I think, too, this is where I think Father Ference's point is, really gets home is when you're trying to bring people back to the church, the ones who are not in the pews will care more deeply about these postmodern questions. Even if they're not thinking about it, the questions tend to weigh on them a lot more than the people in the pews, right? So you're talking, you know, okay, fine. Grandma who comes to church, it's not a problem. But for her granddaughter, who's 25 or whatever and hasn't been in church since she got confirmed, those questions somehow subtly weigh. Is there something more to life? What does it if it is what does this mean is there meaning and purpose to life these are questions that really kind of weigh on 
a lot of young people's minds always. And I think too, like like something um, Bishop Barron's talked a lot about is about the need to found like a new apologetics. And I think Father Ference's point definitely kind of falls around this idea. And it's something I'm really keen on because you can't just speak the gospel to people and just expect them to understand it. You need to be able to kind of speak their language and understand where they're coming from to address their problems and concerns and then show how the gospel brings that to light, yeah. brings them around to that, right? So mm-hmm. that need for like a new apologetics is so essential. Yeah, and uh, Father Damien, he's a good teacher too. I've heard him on Pines with, mm-hmm. with Aquinas before. And it's also like encouraging to know he is interacting with the world. Uh, yeah. He's teaching seminarians, I believe as well. So that's, that's he encouraging. He's, he's doing doctoral studies. Uh, right yeah. now. I'm sure he'll go back yeah. to even more teaching and be stuck to I'm the sure. change of academia for oh, the rest I'm of his sure. life. I am sure. Fellow. But yeah, no, you need to you need to do that stuff. That's why I like watching shows like The Good Place and everything because they tell us something, mm-hmm. right about about the world around us. And if people find it attractive, that tells us something about people's hearts, so that we can address the gospel to that. Good. All right. Yeah. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and okay. go to Sarah's tweet at wannabe Catholic. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Firstborn of the dead is the most metal title of all time. And my response Love to that it. is yes, yes, it is. Totally, one hundred percent. I uh, I thought same thing. What a great, great tweet. I don't know. I don't even know what else to add to that. Well, I think you know everything that is in culture that is good. There's a place for it in the Catholic Church. So yeah. even something as goofy as like the quote unquote metal mindset, like we even do that better than they do. Yeah, yeah. Just follow uh, Teresa Alvia's account or. Um, read yeah. some of the church followers. You want to hear some really metal it's... stuff? Like you'll find it there. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, I love the church fathers right. so much right now. So um, affirm, affirm. Well, yes, amen. Uh, Father Dan, Fulvachni, Fulvachni. Oh, this is a good one. This is a great one. If you had a church that was only back pews, it would be the fullest church in the history of the world. Why do people sit at the back of the church? This is, oh man, okay. I think this is actually a really important thing. Yes. So it's not just that we priests begin to feel self-conscious when none of you want to sit up front. It's not just that, but I think there's actually a problem. Like if you go into this empty church, you sit in the back, and there's plenty of pews up front. It is saying something. You're, like, you're almost detaching yourself from the community a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're saying, I'm, I am coming here for my mass. And I just want to exactly. pray and sit in the back Then I can leave when I want to and yep. whatever, you know. And even if someone, if that's not their intention, that's kind of what they're saying. And that really goes right. back to what we talked about on the last podcast, this kind of individualistic mindset and approach to Christianity, mm-hmm. which says you mm-hmm. sit in the back. Yeah. And since we're complaining about how people sit in the pews, this is something that producer Nick yells about every once in a while when we're having conversations. So many people go into a pew and sit right on the end. Yeah. So it's impossible for someone to get to that big open middle space in the pew without feeling awkward. Or if someone shows up late and they're walking down the aisle, all they see is this wall of bodies and they have nowhere to go. And it makes them feel even more awkward and unwelcoming. Do I think we should do? What do you think we should do? You kind of build ends for each seat in the pew spot. So you have like these little end pieces inserted in there. So because you got like an armrest for each like Yeah, exactly, for not, each part of the pew. That's not a pew, that's just a seat. 
Well, but it's a continuous seat with just armrests in the middle. Because here's the thing: like, I, I get where people are coming from with that part a little bit. Because it, it, you got something to lean on. That's comfortable. That's comfortable. You shouldn't be comfortable at mass. You should be suffering at mass with our Lord Jesus Christ, and unite your sufferings to His. Says so the guy who has the comfiest chair in the church. You, and you're gonna be like sardines praising the Lord yes, God. Yes, but we priests have the comfiest chairs in the church. Well, I studied for eight years to get that comfy chair. And these people have been going to church for 50 years. Oh, that's true, too. Oh. So, I, I don't know. Okay, I, don't, I got nothing. But so, yeah, I'm being yeah. a little bit silly. Oh, no, but, like, after... Sorry, go ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, th this lady came up to me and was talking to me at one of our parishes, and she was saying how she has literally sat in the same place, like, front row, in the same place for, like, 70 years, going to Mass whenever she can, and she's always had her family in that pew. Now her family, they live in different places. And they asked her, like, what did she want for, like, it was like her 80th birthday or something. And she said, what do you want for your birthday? And she said, I just want everyone to sit in this front pew with me, like we used to do. And sure enough, the family showed up early. They were in that pew beforehand. They had saved her space. And yeah. there was something about that. that oh, that's so nice. Yeah. It also made yeah. me more sympathetic to people who, you know, they like their pew seats. You know? Yeah, and I get it. I mean, like, listen, when I go into the church sometimes, or if I'm in, like, a foreign church or whatever, and I, it's not mass, I have I love sitting at the back, actually. Yeah. But, or if you sneak into an adoration chapel. I just kind of, yeah, exactly, right? There's some, it's different a little bit with that. But when I'm at, I just feel like we're, there's something about the closer we are to, I just feel like Catholics are so allergic to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That... They can't like and I, ever since he tweeted that I've I've been wanting to say something at mass sometimes especially during weekday masses like are you guys all allergic to me and uh, like do I smell bad or <laughs> okay. what's, what's before we wrap it up his tweet let's just I just want to read his next one because he, he did a thread and his next oh, tweet okay. was I didn't even notice the thread oh, I just it's, noticed it's that great. tweet he says gonna build one tiny apps church that holds fifteen people and put an aisle that connects to a twenty five thousand seat stadium half a mile away. And that ish will be packed every weekend. So his idea is just put all the pews a mile away and you'll get everyone to show up. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's some that's the new evangelization right there. <laughs> Building churches with a big that's long awesome. aisle way. <laughs> yeah. Everyone can sit in the back. Yes. That's awesome. Cool. Alrighty. Do, do, do. So, oh, hey. Let's do our Chosen tweet, um, the Our Patreon, Patreon pontification. Patreon pontifications. You support us, we read your tweets. So this is from M. Sophie Great at M. Sophie Great, and she chose a tweet from the great, the magnificent J.D. Flynn. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm upset that I picked this one to read because it has a word in here. <laughs> it has a word in here that I do not know how to pronounce. So we're just going to power through it. In my experience, a phallus celebrity priesthood is always... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that no, no. Oh, we have no. to censor that maybe? Okay. 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 Can you do you have this one here? I I want to say it's like acephalus. That still sounds weird. Anyway, Acephalus, acephalus. In my experience, Ace. acephalus celebrity priesthood <laughs> uh, is always a bad idea. So, Father Harrison, you're the one who's yes. gone to school longer than anyone in the whole wide world. What does that word mean? It 
uh, no longer having a head. Okay. Um, so what is JD Flynn saying here? So what he's saying, uh, he actually explains it down further in that thread. It's by the way. So I, I looked it up. I googled it to see our pronunciation. Uh, acephalus. That sounded nicer. Acephalus. Um, so what he's talking about is priests who don't have anyone who has authority over them. Mm-hmm. Like priests, like so celebrity priests who are traveling around who really aren't responsible to anyone. Uh, like some of these guys may have a, a religious superior or a bishop, but their bishop just lets them do whatever they want. And yeah, so that's what he's trying to get at. Yeah. And I also Googled it and I just saw the definition about without a head. And my image yeah. was there's a bunch of headless priests running around. I mean, that's scary. Okay. That's definitely a problem. I can see why they would be celebrities, it's, but yeah, it's sleepy like Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, exactly, riding around horseback, doing what? Yeah, I don't know. throwing head, throwing pumpkins at people. <laughs> um, but it's it's a very good point because we live in a celebrity culture, and it's yep. very easy to see the priest as celebrity. And yes. You have to really be on watch on this um, in the parish. Because people are going to yes. want to treat you like that, and you have to resist that. You have to remember you are their father. You are assigned yes. here because the bishop sent you here. You have you know, a job to do, care for these souls. Uh, but it can be easy to fall into that temptation because mm-hmm. being popular and being liked, that feels great. It feels amazing. Right? But if that gets totally. to your head, you're going to be a bad priest. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think on the larger scale, it's not just – I, I think of for me that when he was talking about this the first kind of name that popped into my head was Father John Crappy. Oh yeah. Right? And look what happened when he had no one really looking over yeah, him. Yeah, well who who was he? Who was Father John Crappy? Father John Crappy was a convert who was ordained as a priest and was um a big speaker on EWTN did lots uh, lots of uh, retreats and missions and speeches. He was quite. He was probably one of the more famous Catholic priests in the world when he was big. Yeah. And you know he loved to talk about his, um, you know, faith with you know with army boots on or whatever you know stuff like that. Yeah. But he got caught. Essentially, all the money he was making was being squandered into private property. Apparently had an illicit relation with a woman mm-hmm. and uh, ski boats and all this stuff and was living quite the lavish lifestyle for someone who, for him, he was part of a society. So he had a vow of poverty yeah. and the society didn't really look over him. Mm-hmm. And so immediately uh, he was removed from ministry. He stopped. Um, EWTN took down all his talks and everything. And uh, it was quite the public fall. Yeah. It was a shame because I thought he was a good speaker. I mean, he was a good speaker. He was a very powerful speaker. Great voice, too. Yes. 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 And it's, uh, yeah. That's why if you're a priest, make sure you have a spiritual director. Make sure you go to confession. Make sure you listen to your bishop, or else you'll become a crazy person and you'll buy too many ski boats. Well, I mean, I don't want want to go out criticizing publicly guys who are kind of public right now, but at the same time, I do think. No, I could, but I won't. I won't. I won't. But I've noticed some priests um, through different forms of media who really have no bishop over them, mm-hmm. and there's a reason the church has this structure. Yeah, um, it's to ensure because the bishops are the protectors of the faith, and to ensure the faith is being promoted right and well. And it's why I'm always nervous about priests who essentially have their own ministry 
but aren't part of their diocese or working in a diocese or working in um, through works of their order or whatever. So I don't know. I, I totally agree with them. And uh, it's a good thing you have a bishop, Father Anthony, or else Twitter may have gone to your head. Exactly. And you would have lost Become it. Become even more of a crazy person. Yes. So thanks, Sophie. Great for being one of our Patreon supporters. Um, we want to invite everyone to support us on Patreon so that we can pay Nick a just wage, producer Nick, so that we can pay for all of our equipment. And any extra money we make goes to the Missionaries of Charity, and we'll be giving you guys yep. an update on how that's all going soon. Uh, it's going very well, so thank you for everyone who supports us. And if you are a $5 supporter, which means that you are, what's the tier? You are on Pastoral Council. You get yes. you, your tweets may get chosen, just like Sophie M. Great's tweet was chosen. And if you are a ten dollars supporter, which is a church lady supporter, you not only can your tweet. By the way, Father Anthony made up all these categories. I did. I'm proud of him. <laughs> we may be shying away some. Like we have some guys who are church lady. It's don't don't take it anthropologically or spiritually. Yes, okay? exactly. Um, your your tweet can be chosen potentially maybe even every week because your name goes back into the pool of tweets to be chosen again. All right. Father Harrison, you were talking about how bishops are there to protect the faith. But yes. bishops are not the only ones who protect the faith and expound yes. great teaching. The great uh -huh. St. Thomas Aquinas did the same thing through his seminal work, the Summa Theologica. This is our tribute to him, the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We just did the Summa Tweetologica. <laughs> what? This is I what thought happens. you were going to go in. I thought you were going to go into this whole idea of bishops are there to protect the faith, to exhort the people, but they're not the only ones. Priests do too. Why? They do presbyteral exhortations. Nick, hit it. <laughs> and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations oh yes. yes quite good quite good indubitably mm -hmm. i bet they can't wait to learn, They're gonna learn so much. it's my favorite part it's the best part yes quite yes quite that's amazing <laughs> father harrison this is what happens when we record so late my brain which is always just on the fringes of falling to pieces amazing okay i was like Whoa, that took a turn I did not expect. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty proud of that, too. Okay. Whew. Talk about humility. My goodness. Yes. <sighs> Father Harrison, I have All a question right. for you. Yes. Yes. What is your favorite color? Question. Green. No, it's purple. Or violet? It's purple. And you know why it's purple, Father Harrison? Why? Because no one uses the word violet. And this is the great season of Advent. Uh -huh. And in Advent, we wear purple most of the time. Okay. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Advent today since we're All right. it, we're getting ready I, by time this drops for the second week of Advent. Mm -hmm. Father Harrison, what do we celebrate in Advent? We wait. Mm -hmm. What are we waiting for? It's a celebration of waiting. For what? The two comings of Jesus. Ooh, two of them? I thought we were two only waiting for Christmas, Father Harrison. We are also waiting for Jesus to come again, yes. Father Anthony. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the end of the world. Because I feel uh -huh. like this is something that doesn't get as much press. You know, the first two yep. weeks of Advent 
are really more focused towards the end times, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes. So let's talk about the end of the world. Awesome. First of all, the end of the world is going to happen. What? Yeah, like the world will actually just, it will all end. All things will pass okay. away. And let's, don't take my word for it. Let's take Jesus's words for it. What does Jesus have to say? Jesus says in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, I don't have it written down here. Ba, ba, ba. You, Such a Catholic. Yeah, but hey, I've got scripture, we're reading scripture. Okay. okay. You will hear of wars and reports of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for these things must happen. But it will not yet be the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes from place to place. All these are beginning of the labor pains. Then they will hand you over to persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. And then many will be led into sin. They will betray and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because of the increase in evil doing, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who preserves to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus actually speaks a lot. This is just one section of it. If you were listening to last week's gospel, you heard Jesus Christ say, literally, people will die of terror at what is going on. So the first coming of Jesus Christ is kind of quiet. Almost like God almost like sneaks into humanity, right? Right. And it's right. it's very cute. You go, oh, baby yeah. Jesus, right? And it's beautiful. Yeah. But the thing is with that, not a lot of people knew he was there. Of course, Mary and Joseph, right. the shepherds, the wise men, Herod knew about it, but rejected him. Mm -hmm. And even throughout his entire ministry, you could either accept or reject Jesus Christ. Even now, with the great witness of the church, with the witness of the sacraments, all of the miracles that have been performed, the great lives of the saints, the gospel of truth being preached, you can still deny Jesus Christ. Right. But when Jesus comes again in power and glory, coming on the clouds, there will be no denying Jesus. Right. right. So Jesus is kind of saying two things. One, it's going to be super scary and crazy things are going to happen. Yep. But also he says, if you preserve to the end, you'll be saved. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I bring all this up is because if we keep in mind and when we keep in mind the end times, the fact that we will be judged, it radically mm -hmm. changes the way we live now. But does God really judge us? Doesn't he just love us? Yeah. So this is the line I gave in my homilies. Okay. Jesus Christ is a merciful judge. He's yep. a loving judge, but yep. he is a fair judge as well. Right. So when we think of judges, a lot of times we have this image of a judge judging unfairly. Like, right. you know, I didn't really mean it. Or in my heart, I'm a good person, right? And mm -hmm. you hear this all the time in the confessional. At least I, oh, yeah. People begin oh, yeah. telling me their sins, and then they start talking about what a good person they are. They're like, oh, I don't, I, I tell white lies, you know. But I didn't murder I anyone. I didn't murder anyone. I try I really hard. I try to dollars. say my prayers, and I'm a good person. Now that may or may not be true, you know. One, I don't, I don't really care because I'm here to hear your sins and forgive you. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing: 
Jesus Christ knows our hearts even better than we do. Right. So wherever he judges us to go is going to be completely and utterly fair. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yes. Because we do have this desire in our hearts for justice. Right? right. Now, a lot of times yeah. in the world, I think it takes this form of a desire for vengeance. But God is going to be out for vengeance. He's going to be there for justice. Right. Right. So it's interesting. I, I had an uh, interesting experience this week where God was purifying me a bit more this week, mm -hmm. uh, this past week, just before Advent started. And I was listening to the readings and they were all about every day, judgment, judgment, judgment. Mm -hmm. And I walked away with it with a few experiences. First, I didn't experience the judgment as, some, as a condemnation. I experienced it as a, something that was meant to purify me because really God doesn't judge the person. He judges the sin. Right? Yes. So it's just, what do we choose to attach with that sin? Right. Do like, like do I identify myself? If I identify myself with that sin, then when God judges that sin, I'm going to experience judgment myself because the sin's being judged. Do you, does that make sense? It does. But I feel like God also judges people because I think there's a temptation to detach ourselves too much from our actions because this is a little bit of a problem in some moral right. theology, right? Mm -hmm. We think, you know, as long as I have make a general movement towards the good in my heart, I'm not a bad person. But the thing is, right. if you keep doing evil things, even though you are created good, even though your soul right. is good, you're a bad person. Like right. if you no, go I, around drowning kittens that, in a sack, right. like that eventually makes you a bad person. I, I'm not denying yeah. that. I, I actually would agree with that. That's what I'm saying. It's like it, the more attached you are to your sin, mm -hmm. the more the judgment is really against you as a person because you are identifying with the sin. Okay, yeah. Like sin and I did. The more you sin, the more you identify with the sin. The more you identify with your sin, the more the judgment is against you, and the more you feel a condemnation from God. Instead, like God's condemnation is really against sin. And I, for me, the distinction is 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 the cross. Okay. Right, because there is God's wrath there against sin. But Jesus is not a bad person. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So that's where I'm just making, that's where I'm getting this distinction from. Anyways, but I, and I, I, I was preaching on it this week too, and I said we, we need to not look at God's judgment, at least as we experience it in this life. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's not a con condemnatory thing. It's something that, it's, it's actually an act of love to purify us. Yeah. And if we can start to see that now, then that'll start to prepare us for that judgment, mm -hmm. the true judgment at the end, so that we are ready for that judgment in its in its proper ways. It's like it's like trial, like we're going through trials, so that when we get to like the Supreme Court, we're going to be sure we're going to be on sure footing to defend ourselves because the judgments from prior will have purified us to be just. Yeah, does that make yeah, sense? I think it does. I think it's also important okay. to remember, as far as judgment and mercy becoming more and more like one thing. If God yeah. didn't warn us in these incredibly strong words, he wouldn't be a good yeah. God. Exactly. Like if he just let us commit evil and didn't give us a good, healthy guilt about it, he would just be like letting us walk off a cliff. Yeah. And it made me think of the uh, story of Jonah, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Because you see in the story of Jonah, Jonah's mission and what he preaches is in three days, Nineveh will be destroyed. 
That's yeah. all he preaches. He doesn't say, yep. you know, repent. He says, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the people of Nineveh then repent and God spares them. Right. So you see this, I think, a lot with warnings in the Bible. They're incredibly strong because if you don't heed them, they will happen. But they're supposed yeah. to kind of freak you out. Because if you are living a life of sin and living a life of yeah. habitual sin, the first thing you need, the first medicine you need is a fear of God. Because exactly. fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if you're sinning yeah. a whole bunch, you don't got no wisdom. You need some fear, yeah. right? Right. Of course, now that's not the end. We're not meant to just live in utter fear of God all the time in a, in a servile right. sense. Mm-hmm. Then you get drawn into the friendship of God and the mercy of yeah. God. Yeah. So I want to share a story with you. Okay. And I, I've shared this in my homilies and stuff too, but it's a great story, I think. A lot of people, when they imagine seminary, if you're not a seminarian, you imagine these good holy men talking about Jesus all the time, right? We're just getting together, mm-hmm. talking about Jesus. It's wonderful. Unfortunately, oh, yeah, most of the time, seminarians are talking about stuff like this. Oh, that one professor is a complete jerk. I can't believe he gave me that grade on the paper. Or, man, holy hour starts way too early. Or this other seminarian, did you see how he prayed that prayer? That was dumb. Yep. Now, there were better seminarians than me who didn't talk about that stuff, but, you know, we're in the process of formation. Okay. Right. But every once in a while, we do talk about Jesus. And this is one of those evenings. Mm-hmm. My buddy and I, um, he's a priest not too far away from where I live. We were just kind of talking about the end times. And we're getting really into this conversation, right? Talking about the end of the world and blah, blah, blah. And then I began to get a little freaked out thinking about like my attachment to sin and how much of a jerk I've been. And if I were to see God face to face, would I run towards him or would I run away? It was like this kind of moment of like, mm-hmm. oof, um, anxiety for me. And we were in the chapel and no one else was in the chapel. That's why we were talking. And then my buddy, he points to the tabernacle and he says, are you afraid of the tabernacle? And my answer was no. Cause I thought of all the times I had like run to the tabernacle with my prayers, with my anxieties, how that was like the one like safe place for me in this chapel. I said, no. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it's going to be the same Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And so that gave me like a whole new perspective on everything. Because sometimes when we imagine the judgment of God or we see that um, big, scary Jesus judgment in art and everything, we... Th- oh, like at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception? That's exactly what I was thinking. Google, <laughs> the Aryan yeah, Jesus. Google scary Jesus National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception or something like that. It's this yeah. big, muscular Jesus with like like anger in his eyes oh my goodness he's got blonde hair blue eyes and he's right there's actually a reason for that in iconography why that makes sense (laughs) but anyway let's get that yes scary jesus (laughs) but we like to imagine that that's a different jesus but it's not god is the same yesterday today and forever right so we have this time of mercy a time when we can repent we have the sacraments we can go to confession we have all this time to grow closer and closer to God so that when we meet him again, we're not going to be freaked out. We're going to be rejoicing. Mm -hmm. We can say, like we hear at the end of Revelations, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Because the Christian Mm -hmm. attitude should be this desire for the Lord Jesus to come again. Like we should be actively desiring that at this time of Advent. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, hmm. 
actually, I don't know. You said it perfectly. Oh, uh, wonderful. And speaking of that idea of me saying stuff yeah. perfectly, well, not really. This is the church saying something perfectly. I really love the collect for the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the yeah. collect is the opening prayer that everyone ignores at the beginning of Mass, right? Even though I chant it beautifully <laughs> and very clearly yep. for people to hear, a lot of times we just kind of let that pass up. But if you listen to the opening prayer, many times it will tell you like what's going on at this Mass. You know? Okay, yeah. so this is the opening collect for the first Sunday of Advent. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Yeah. So even though this is a time of waiting and anticipation, that waiting in the Christian should look like a running forth to meet Jesus. Yeah. With yeah. righteous deeds. So we're yeah. always pointed east. We're pointed towards God. We're pointed to his second coming. And we should be yeah. grabbing up all these righteous deeds that we can perform by his grace and running toward him. Yeah. I love it. Totally. I So for those who don't know, the germ, the the general instruction for the Roman Missal, I heard it pronounced the other day as the germ. I've I heard like, that as well. Germ. Yeah. I was like, germ. The germ. It's like das germ. germ, yeah. Uh, anyways, it gives. It says there are two texts that the priest can preach on for the homily. The one is the scriptures, which is normative for mm -hmm. us. But the other is the normative. prayers of the day. Hopefully, right? Sorry, go ahead. I was right? talking over you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but the other one is that you can pray out the prayers of the day, or preach on the prayers of the day. And I was really loving the opening prayer. Mm. So that was my homily yesterday. All right. This weekend was on that opening prayer. I just spent fifteen minutes going at it, going at it um and it was it's like for those who don't know the the opening prayer has a threefold structure right it addresses god the father it makes a petition and then it it often will then end, end with a a um, a statement of hope mm -hmm. right so grant fa father that we that we may run resolve to run forth to meet your christ with righteous deeds that's what we're asking for so that this hope can be fulfilled which is that we will be seated at his right hand and be inheritors of his kingdom but when you start to break down those words, it's like resolve. Resolve means a determination, right? It means I'm, I, w I need to do this, like, and I need this every day. Yeah. But we're asking God for it because it, it's a, that means it's a recognition on our part that there's something lacking in us that we can't provide for ourselves in our heart to desire this. We need the resolve from God. He needs to give us this desire. Yeah. He needs to give us what we need to do to do this. And it's and it's not so being Christian is not, not something we just kind of haphazardly walk into, but it's rather I need to seek God every day. I need to seek that. I need to seek the Christ who is coming in every moment, in every day, with everything, mm -hmm. with every ounce of my being. And it becomes a kind of a good real reflector, on, a, a, a reminder to our conscience when we're lacking yeah. that. And that's and the other thing I said yesterday about that too is around the righteous deeds element was there's there's actually an instructive element to this because how do we build up this desire by doing it like I always say this to young people when I'm doing spiritual direction for them if they're especially if they're struggling with the cedia which is kind of what that prayer is going yeah, against yeah. right it's the idea of um, well how do you start desiring the good again by doing good deeds. Because by doing it, you actually start, it builds up the desire again. You're not just, it's not just, it's not something that's going to magically appear, but it, it has to come with time and effort to actually do the good so that you can see that the good is worth 
loving and cherishing and and chasing after so the the prayer is instructing us to do those righteous deeds so that by doing them with god's help of course they will help our heart to grow in the resolve to run forth mm-hmm. so i have to make a side note in honor of okay. the great and unstoppable tradening and if you haven't okay. heard our podcast on the tradening in short it's this desire to get back to the signs and symbols particularly in liturgy and kind of rediscover yeah. them so you said that opening colic is addressed to god the father right yes actually like the majority of the prayers in mass are addressed to god the father they all yeah. are well not all of them so most okay. of them are uh... yeah wait, hey, hey, I'm, I'm about to explain i've got i literally have okay. a missile in okay. front of me so okay 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 so okay. when you okay. hear okay. when you hear okay. lord think god the father a lot of times we hear lord and we immediately think lord jesus but it's kind of yeah. like refusing to say god's holy name it's like refusing to say uh yahweh right you would say lord right. okay the same sort of thing that goes on in our liturgy actually right. the first time you directly address jesus christ is after the consecration when we say lord jesus christ who said to your apostles peace i leave you my peace i give you Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your yeah, church. Yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. You're right. But yeah, think yeah, about yeah, it. Right. We're Just the humble. priest is addressing all of these <laughs> prayers to God the Father. So why yeah. is he looking at you when he says them? Exactly. Maybe we should all be pointed in a direction, symbolically, saying that we are approaching God the Father as the body of Christ. Wouldn't that make more sense? Okay. So I had to throw that out there because agree. this is. I'm preaching the gospel of facing east like every chance I get now. Yeah. I, I did that a few weeks ago. I can't remember what the gospel. Oh, I think it was about Ezekiel and the, the temple. Okay, yeah. And about how it was facing east. I, it was a weekday mass, and I went for like 12 minutes all on the theology of facing east. And and I was pretty good. I said to my parishioners, you know, I'm not going to do anything, but I just, this is why we do this. It's not about, and yeah. Anyways, we can, that, that could be an easy. Uh, <laughs> so I, I can't help myself. Any side. chance I get to I can't help myself. But no, but, it, it, but, and that's the thing though, but the entire liturgy is about, like, there's a reason we process to the altar because it's the whole church going to the Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit, right? It's this this movement. And then we, we've kind of just done this weird interruption of the movement with all of this that just, I think, breaks down the logic of liturgy and makes us not see liturgy for what it is. Yeah, and um, I think there was a priest on Twitter who posted that he's going to start um, facing east during Advent. It might have been mm-hmm. Father Bob Lestrange. I'm they, not sure if it was him or someone else. I know Father Faulkner does Maybe it was Advent. him. Maybe it was him. But anyway, he had this like beautiful yeah. explanation of it. But in particular, in Advent, in a particular way, we are facing east because... Just as yeah. sure as the sun will come above the horizon, so as sure Christ will come again. And we're looking yeah. towards that direction. People look east, that he <laughs> People did. look east. Christ the Lord is coming. <laughs> that's Whatever it is. Sorry, my People singing voice. People look yeah. east except the priest. Okay, that's enough of that. We don't, we don't want to get into cynicism. We're just joyfully talking about how facing east makes more sense in every single way. Yes. So yes. I think, but spiritually speaking, in a particular way, we should be looking toward the east, looking toward Christ's second coming joyfully. Yeah. That means we have to yeah. cast down a lot of the stuff we hold on to. So I am casting down Twitter for Advent so that I can run forward <laughs> with righteous deeds. Because if I'm, if I'm holding all these excellent tweets in my hand, Father Harrison, I don't have yeah. space for righteous deeds. Right. So that's me. Maybe you need to do okay. something else, but that's a good thing. What's one thing, it's still early on in Advent, that you can give up to help you run forward towards Christ and give you more yeah. time to pick up all them righteous deeds. 
yeah, for, for me, I, I'm, there's two things with this. First, the other thing with the, that collect is it's, it's kind of the mission statement for Lent, for Advent, mm-hmm. right? That's, I said to my, my parishioners, this is why we pray this. It's, this tells us what Advent's all about. Yeah. Um, so like in my parish, I told my staff, we're going to have our Christmas dinner actually during the Christmas season. What? I know. Because I think it's a good thing to do. I think, plus, it's less busy. It's easier to get tables at a restaurant. It's just better, right? Um, So there was that. The other thing is, though, I, for me, I really, this year, I've been really focusing on that theme of waiting, right? And we're going to, like, the the first reading always is, is about Israel's desire for God to bring his Messiah, for God to bring the redemption that he's promised to Israel and to enter that waiting of Israel in the old Testament is meant to be instructive to the church today because we are the new Israel. So I'm really trying to figure out little ways, uh, to enter into that waiting mm-hmm. and because, and it's, but it's, again, it's not, it's not a passive waiting. Like, oh, I'm just gonna look at my phone for the next three hours while I'm waiting. In line. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a, it's like the child keeping vigil at the top of the stairs on Christmas Eve night to see a Santa Claus comes. Mm. Right. That's a good image. That's it's that it's, it's that eager desire to be there. That that's, if that's not on our hearts, which I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably for most of us, that means we got some spiritual uh, weightlifting to do to, to enter more deeply into that desire for Christ to come in. Yeah. And there's so much more I want to talk about, but we just don't have time. Like for example, I think every age has its own practice of the end times. Because if you look at how Jesus Christ describes the end times, that can describe our age, the age before us, all the way going back to the Mm -hmm. first apostles. They're almost like all dry runs for the actual end times. So we have false messiahs. We have wars. We have uprisings. um, We have uh, calamities of the weather. uh, And all these things, we all get like a test run as a church to prepare for the end times too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it is a time of waiting. And on that note, once again, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer before Tommy Ty comes on the podcast. Because we simply do not have time for him, but we will wait. If you were going to do it, I was going to do it. (laughs) So we will wait in hopeful anticipation. That one one is just... You can run toward Tommy Ty with righteous deeds by watching his show on Catholic TV. You see the missionary. Maybe that's a little practice run for you. There you go, Tommy. Free plug. Making fun of you every single podcast. So thanks, guys, for joining us. If you like us a whole bunch, consider donating to the Patreon, and that would be great. You can find me at uh, Father Sharapa. You can find our podcast at ClericalPod. Our Gmail account is speaking at gmail.com. And you can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Peace. God bless.